Amazing. Church, it is great to see you. Anyone excited to be at church today? I'm excited, which I'm just an excited person. Anyone, you just have that person in your family, right? They're just excited about everything. I, I get excited. And for those of you who I've yet to have the opportunity to meet, my name is CJ Johnson, and I am the senior pastor elect, right? Spa is my nickname. And uh, I am thrilled, and it is truly an honor to uh, get to step into this season and uh, just honored to be appointed by the elders as well as confirmed by you. At least 97% of you said yes. <laughs> the other 3% of you, I'm coming for you. Come to find out, some folks are playing hard to get, and that's okay. Uh, my wife tried to run that same kind of game on me, and I don't know if I outshined the other brothers, but I did outlast them. And uh, so I am committed to earning your love and respect, but it is truly uh, just an honor, and I've been waiting for this moment. I want to thank uh, the Northview elders uh, for just their diligence and all the time that they invested into the process, and I never seen this day come, and I never thought I'd ever leave Minnesota. I didn't apply for this, uh, but sometimes God has other plans. Anyone just thankful his plans that are better than your plans, amen? And just honored uh, by the elders here. Uh, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for seeing something in me that I don't know if I quite honestly see in the mirror. Uh, people have asked me, they say, hey, what, is, what does the CJ stand for? Some people thought it was Charles. Not the case. Uh, in fact, I'm actually not a CJ. I was born legally deaf, had six surgeries on my ears, and struggled most of my life with a pretty significant speech impediment. Uh, so they abbreviated my name from Christopher to CJ. And so that's why I'm a CJ. I'm actually Christopher Craig uh, Johnson. And uh, so it's a pretty common name. I'm like a leading candidate for identity theft. And so I don't know if God butt dialed me and I got somebody else's call, but I am taking the call and I am excited to be here. Amen. And I, I do got to say, when I, when I first received the call uh, to engage in this conversation, I went to uh, my elders uh, in Minnesota and uh, just asked for their blessing. Hey, I don't even want to jump on the phone call without your blessing. And what is so precious and so unique is, one, not only did the same elders who selected Pastor Steve select me. Uh, that's a unique thing in our story. Um, but when we accepted the position, our elders from Minnesota booked flights, and uh, they are here today. Can we just celebrate them? And I've asked around and have not heard of a situation like that, and uh, it, it is just amazing, and it is an honor, and to get to spend the year uh, with, with Pastor Steve, which I know some of you are jealous, because my mentor's better than yours, right? Like, <laughs> I get to chase Yoda around for the next 12 months. Like, I am pumped about this, and uh, so far, everyone has asked me, they've said, hey, you know, what are some of the things you didn't expect? And, and I say this truthfully and honestly, that the one thing uh, that I don't think either Kristen and I expected uh, was uh, how impressive, how legit, and how remarkable Pastor Steve and Sandy are. Uh, that we came in with a pretty high view of them, and they have completely blown that out of the water. And church, we are truly uh, blessed with the best. Can we acknowledge that? It's amazing. 
when we started talking about today, uh, there was kind of conversation about, okay, how are we going to do this? And I don't know about you, but I get awkward with pageantry in church. And uh, what I love about Northview, Northview has always existed to promote and proclaim one person and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, amen. And so throughout the remainder of this message, I'm going to do my best to just get out of the way and give you Jesus, if that's all right. And uh, I get to jump into this series, Chosen, which every single one of us is chosen by God with a, with a purpose on your life that you were designed and created on purpose and for a purpose. And much of the thrill of following Christ is, is discovering that purpose. It's, it's living eyes wide open and leaning into the possibility that maybe, just maybe, the architect of heaven might have a plan and a design for your life, that he may use you to somehow add value to his redemptive work in humanity, that God doesn't need our help, but he is such a generous gentleman that he extends the invitation and says, I can use you, and I can use you, and if you just trust me with your life, I will exceed anything you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. I'll exceed your prayers. I'll exceed your wishes, right? And I will do something in your life in church, I promise you. I promise you, I promise you, if you fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you will find yourself down the road amazed by his work in your life. That is the beauty of grace, right? That you may not be where you wanna be, but by the grace of God, you're not where you could be or where you should be. So it is what it is, but it ain't what it ain't. And I know that's bad grammar, but that's gonna stick, right? So the next time you get frustrated that you're not making the progress and you haven't you know, landed in your preferred destination, you do a 180 and you remind your soul and you remind your, your heart and your mind how far God has brought you and the things he's already done through you, amen? That you are chosen, selected, that God has remarkable plans for your life and for my life. And in th today's message, we get to talk about this idea that you and I are, we're chosen to see. That God wants to impart his vision for humanity into your life, into my life. In this series, we have been landing some of the fundamentals of our faith. And arguably, the, the most cornerstone verse of our faith is John 3.16. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved. Anyone so love some things? Like, I love pizza, but I so love my wife. You know the difference, right? Like, I so love this. For God so loved, come on, say this with me, the world, which I did this whole study this week, and I looked up what the world meant in Greek and in Hebrew, and you know what it means? The world, right? Like, the entire world, this speck of dust in this galaxy, God loves all of it, meaning all of us, amen? It says that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a verse. And have you ever found that vague statements go over better than specific statements? Like I don't know about you guys, but I like the mall. Anyone else like the mall? I'm a modern man, I hunt. I just don't hunt deers, I hunt for deals at the mall. That's kind of my deal. And, uh, I like going to the mall because I like people watching. Anyone else? People are fascinating. So you can say that and it's socially acceptable. I like people watching. As long as it's vague, it's good. 
But you make that specific and you say, I like going to the mall to watch one person. <laughs> well, now it's uncomfortable, right? So when you say, okay, God loves the world. Oh, I love this idea. That's amazing. Well, now make it specific. And here's an exercise I did personally, and you can hijack it if you like. List out the ABCs in a journal. And then by each letter, start to make a list of the people God likes and loves. So here's my list. I'll go through a few of these letters. Letter A, God loves people at our Anderson campus. That's a given, right? God loves people at our Anderson campus. God loves artists and astronauts. God loves aerospace engineers. God loves accountants, accordion players, airplane pilots, athletes, and acrobats. God loves people who live in Africa, Alaska, Albuquerque, and alleys downtown. God loves the absent-minded, Amish, Anglicans, Miss American candidates. God loves awkward people, assertive people, aggravating people, and antisocial people. God loves astrologers, animal rights activists, adulterers, abusers, alcoholics, atheists, and all kinds of addicts. Letter B, God loves our Benford campus. Shout out to Pastor Garrett and the crew over there. God loves babies. God loves boys, bankers, and boy band members. God loves ballerinas, Bible readers, and biology teachers. God loves bird watchers, bus drivers, bookworms, bachelors, botanists, bowlers, baby boomers, beekeepers, blondes, brunettes, and people with blue hair. God loves bosses, braggers, and grocery store baggers. God loves bartenders and bedwetters. God loves Baptists, barbers, Bill Clinton, President Bush, Barack Obama, his boy Biden, Bill Cosby, Belichick, Brady, and all the Butler Bulldogs, right? <laughs> Letter C, God loves people who are cute. He also loves people who are crude. God loves children, compassionate people, Caucasians, Cubans, Czechoslovakians, Californians, Cambodians, and people who live in Carmel. God loves cowboys, cooks, celebrities, and crooks. God loves Cherokees, Comanches, cops, cheerleaders, clowns, cats. And we should pause there. I don't know if God loves cats. I am pretty convinced they are demonic ninjas wearing fur. Which I think there's a conspiracy thing happening. Have you ever noticed how cats have monopolized the mascot game? I mean, we have jaguars, bobcats, cougars, panthers, tigers. I mean, somewhere there is a group of farm animals that are just irate, right? I don't know if God loves cats, but he certainly loves cat people and their eccentric personalities. God loves cheapskates, cowards, comedians, Catholics, charismatics, congregationalists, congressmen, creeps, cheaters, the conceited, and crystal meth junkies. Let's skip down. We'll go to the letter O. God loves optometrists, oral surgeons, Ohioans, organic gardeners, obituary writers. God loves the overweight and the overpaid. God loves O.J. Simpson, the Olsen twins, Oprah Winfrey, and orange-looking presidents. That tan wasn't real, y'all. That tan wasn't real. The moment you make it specific, doesn't it make you uncomfortable? I mean, there's some on that list that'll get your blood boiling. But when the Bible says it, even if it comes against my flesh, so be it, I believe it. And God, I surrender my life to you. I take my cues from you. And so if I don't see things in a way that aligns with your vision, do something 
in my life. Also, I can see the world the way you see the world. Also, I can see others the way you see others. I mean, don't you wanna have God's vision? God's vision for you and God's vision for the world? And I think in our life of faith, we, we, as we follow Christ, we, we kind of go through two conversions. Now, now hear me on this because I don't want to create some theological confusion. I am not saying conversions as in earning your salvation. I'm not saying you are saved twice. Uh, I think there's a lot of insecurity in Christian circles that is unnecessary. The finished work of the cross is enough and you just gotta live confident knowing that Jesus filled in all the gaps and even when you come up short, his grace is sufficient. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. He's always working on behalf of you, amen? That's what you can anchor your heart to. But I do think what happens is, is in a literal sense, the word conversion implies a, a shift in your thinking, a change in your opinions and your beliefs. And I think the first conversion is when you discover God's love for you. You go through life and you take on all this shame and, and you take on all these habits of self-deprecation and you're constantly fostering insecurity. And then one day you bump into the goodness of God. And then one day you discover, wait a second, the God of the universe loves me and has done the unthinkable on behalf of me. That one truth will radically change and alter the rest of your life. God loves me unconditionally. My prayer every single week that I get to share the gospel is that maybe, just maybe, one person will bump into that for the first time and they'll discover, wait a second, this God is amazing and he loves me. But the more you follow Jesus, you'll go through a second conversion. The first conversion is discovering God's love for you. The second conversion is when you discover God's love for the world. Before you know it, you start to see life beyond yourself. And God starts to break your heart for the things that break his heart. And you start to see in people what heaven saw all along. And, and you're, you're fixated on it. And my prayer is, that would happen in our lives. God, would you just open my eyes? And God, would you help me have a love for the world the way you love the world? And just know that anytime you, you venture down a new path, it'll feel awkward at first, but if you embrace it, what is initially awkward will become awesome. Imagine being the guy who invented the hug. Think about that, he just went up to his buddy, embraced him and was like, shh, trust me. Right? That had to have been an awkward moment. But I'm telling you, if you will lean into some things in your faith that are a little foreign to you, a little outside your comfort zone, maybe they're not instinctive, but you will live eyes wide open saying, I know that I know that God came to rescue and redeem the world. And I wanna live eyes wide open to see what he sees. Matthew chapter 25 is where we bump into the passage of scripture that was just, you know, quoted on that video. And Matthew chapter 25 is this loaded passage. You ever came to a loaded passage and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know what to do with that. And it is stressing and emphasizing both Jesus's return and the results of our life. And so this is where we bump into the infamous parable of the talents. 
where things are divvied out among servants and the, the master comes back and he wants to know, what did you do with what I trusted you with? See, what happens is in Christian circles, we obsess over Jesus's return. But a lot of times we never give any thought to our own return. What is the return on my life? Heaven made a deposit and heaven invested into my life and I wanna stand proud and I wanna stand with joy in my heart and fulfillment upon my life that the day I get to meet my maker, I am proud of the return. That grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. That God in his remarkable way, he entrusts us and he deposits great things into our life and he is anxiously, patiently awaiting those things to bear fruit. Church, what is the return on your life? I mean, what are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? And so in this tension, on the tail end of these parables, it ends in Matthew chapter 25, and says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? Did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now that's a word. You ever came across a word in scripture and it was a confusing word? I am trying to teach second graders and fourth graders in my house how to read and I find that words are hard. Anyone else find that words are hard? The other day I had this moment that my mind was blown talking to my kid. You ever had a kid do something accidentally that was impressive? So I'm explaining to my son, son, I before E except after C. Anyone else heard that? I before E except after C and without hesitation my son goes, weird. My mind was blown, like, buddy, you don't even realize what you just did, right? And then we came to this word, Pacific Ocean. This is maddening. Because in these two words, there are three C's. And they're all pronounced differently. Pacific Ocean. How do you explain that? I said, son, look, in our home, we're going to call that Pacific Oaken, okay? <laughs> That's just what we're gonna go with. That's a tough word. When you come to a passage like this and God's separating and talking about his return and saying what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Well, that's a tough word. And here's a handle that I think will, will assist you in your life of faith and that is just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean it's endorsed by the Bible. Some of you, you keep getting bumped off by someone at work who keeps throwing some skepticism your way about your faith and is causing insecurity and doubt in your faith and it has to do sometimes with the accusations or the frustrations that people have with the word of God. 
And so people will look at our Bible and they'll say, well, what kind of God is this? Look at all the stuff that's in there. And you should know that what the Bible gives us is a historical account of God's redemptive plan woven through history, including the history, including the madness, including the brokenness. And what you find is God doesn't run away from our brokenness. Come on, I know that is encouragement to somebody. That even when we bring a mess, God brings his best. That God doesn't turn a blind eye, he doesn't turn a deaf ear, and he doesn't run away from the, the shambles of our life. No, he, he steps in. And so scripture is God's impressive resume of stepping in. And so again, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it is endorsed by the Bible. That's important to understand because in scripture you come across these three labels. And those three labels are the lost, the last, and the least. Now understand this, this is not permitting us to develop some bizarre form of a caste system where we place some people at the back of the line and we place some people at lower levels of worth. No, that's not what this is implying. But labels are frustrating. Have you ever found that to be the case? I struggle with labels just because I don't fully identify with the ones that are available. So I'll have people say, are you an early bird or are you a night owl? I'm like, I don't know if I'm either. If anything, I feel like a lethargic pigeon. <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle. Labels are tough. And what you have to understand is Jesus steps into our shoes and he takes our working labels and he takes our working definitions and he will use our definitions to infuse his revelations. So he'll, he'll come to us and he'll say, okay, so this is how you understand the world. That there are some people that are less important than other people. Well, understand this, that in my kingdom, the last shall be first. Which would have caused people to be like, well, wait a second. Well, then if the last shall be first, that means they're not the last. To which Jesus would be like, there you go. You're, you're catching up. I'm going to use your definition to infuse my revelation. He says, hey, well, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Well, well you're the one and only begotten son. The, the perfect spotless lamb of God is what scripture said. You are the only individual to ever step foot on this planet who is perfect. You're not the least, you're the best. Exactly. So correct your preferential treatment of people and recognize that what you see in front of you is also a child of God who bears my thumbprint. And he will take our definitions, are you tracking? And he will infuse his revelations. I, I just love that. I love what scripture says in Ephesians chapter one, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I love that statement, the eyes of your heart. Did you know your heart had eyes? We're all aware that our head has eyes. Scripture wants us to know, hey, but your, your heart, it has eyes. In other words, what scripture wants us to know is there's a big difference between insight and eyesight. I think it was Helen Keller, the, the blind legend, who said, hey, what is worse than being blind is having sight and no vision. It's not just what you see, it's, it's how you see it. 
Recently, I heard someone say that they love the, the princess and the frog. I love that movie. It's such a good story. I'm like, yeah, if you're the frog. But if you're the princess, the movie ends with you kissing a frog. It's how you see it, right? A shoe company once wanted to branch out into different markets. So they sent two of their executives to Africa. Hey, go test the market. When they get back, the first guy shows up to the office and his boss calls him into the office and he says, hey, what was it like? What do you think? The guy says, it's a terrible idea. No one there wears shoes. 15 minutes later, the other guy shows up, boss pulls him in. He said, hey, what'd you think of the trip? Any potential? He said, absolutely, it's a no-brainer. The market's wide open. Nobody there wears shoes, right? It, again, it, it's how you see it. And my question for you is when you look at the world, are you just viewing everything through despair, through pessimism, through the woes of this world, or are you viewing life through the lens of heaven? Because you have two options. You can either view your God through the filter of your problems, or you can view your problems through the filter of your God. He's greater, he's bigger, he's more powerful, and he is better, amen? And you can allow the anticipation and the hope and the confidence in your life to rise so the next time you bump into somebody, you can say with confidence, my God can work in your life. My God can do remarkable things and I am so excited to see all that he has next. Is that not amazing? And here's the thing, the more you see what God sees, the more you'll trust what God says. The more you see what God sees, the more you start to align your heart and your mind to his vision, the more you start to just gain greater and greater confidence the next time he prompts you, the next time you bump into one of his promises, which my goodness, churches, we're, we're struggling with this. We are far too married to our preferences to where we're forfeiting his promises. And at some point, it's gotta say, God, I wanna experience the promises that you've declared over my life. So God, help me see my life in this world and those around me through your eyes. Is that not amazing? And I think the moment we start to see life through the filter of heaven, what we start to do is we realize that you don't have to look for the inconvenience. You look for the resemblance. See, this is what we're doing. We're, we're problem spotters rather than potential spotters. We like to play Captain Obvious in people's lives. And so we get like to point out all the wrongs and all the brokenness and all the shortcomings. But church, you should know that true evangelism isn't telling people how lost they are. It's telling people how loved they are. That's true evangelism. It's not looking and saying, my goodness, your life is a mess. It's saying, no, I see the fingerprint of God on your life and you too are a child of God. So do you see a brother or do you see a bother? Do you see a sister or do you see a sinner? Do you see a challenge or do you see a child? Do you see inconvenience or do you see resemblance? And I pray that something will awaken in your heart where you'll start to think, you know what? I'm gonna look at people the way God looks at people. That there is a child of God. And my God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. I mean, these are the things that Jesus would spell out. You know, there's all these Bibles that are red letter Bibles. And the red letters indicate what? The words of Jesus. I wanna invent my own Bible. 
the CJSV, right? CJ Johnson Standard Version. And it's gonna be a blue letter Bible. And it's going to highlight the works of Jesus. Because in the gospel, there are far more works of Jesus than there are words of Jesus. And church, tuck this one away to understand what Jesus meant by what Jesus said. You have to watch what Jesus did. Someone say, run it back. <laughs> to understand what Jesus meant by what Jesus said. You have to watch what Jesus did. To which it raises the question, well, what did he do? And this whole passage is coming to us from Matthew, one of his disciples. And I think if you were to raise that question, Matthew would be like, I'll tell you how it looks. I'll tell you what he did because he did it in my life. In fact, Matthew's story, he documented it himself. He said this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. So basically, there was the sinners who were the worst of the worst, and then there were the tax collectors who had their own category, right? You are in a league of your own when it comes to corruption, filth, and disgrace. And so he is surrounded by these folks and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Church, Jesus didn't come for people with self-righteousness. He came for people with self-awareness. God, I have some gaps in my life, and I need your grace at work in my life. I think Matthew would say, man, he, he just met me where I was at. What I love about it is Matthew was heading in the wrong direction, doing everything wrong, and Jesus still got it right. Do you believe God can do that in people's lives? I bumped into Jesus in Panama City Beach, Florida on spring break. My freshman year, we had lost in our conference tournament, and so we now had the rest of spring break uh, to do whatever we wanted. Back in the day, MTV would throw these big parties in Panama City Beach, Florida. And so we said, hey, let's go to spring break. First night we're there, MTV has this concert and they're having this, this rapper perform by the name of Petey Pablo. It was, it was nuts. And I came stumbling out of this club. I won't give you all the details, but folks, I was in rare form. And on the street corner there is a white van Guy sticks his head out the window and says, anyone need a free ride? To which I look at the rest of my teammates. I'm like, yeah, all of us, we all need a ride. And so they, they take us to the next spot, drop us off, give us a card, say, hey, call us when you need another one. We take full advantage of this and they drop us back off at the hotel that night and they tell us, call us when you wake up in the morning. We're providing a free breakfast on the beach. They would even go on to provide a free barbecue on the beach. Guys, we exhausted this service. <laughs> and towards the end of the week, we found out that they were Christian students from Eastern Michigan University. 
And what's amazing is I get back to school and I'm in Illinois and everybody's like, hey, what was, what was spring break like? Was it amazing? Tell us all about it. And as I would tell them about my week, all my favorite moments were when I was sober and with these kids. It was in that moment that God just sparked a, a season of reflection. I surrendered my life to Christ and I became a Christian. And I've spent the last 17 years trying to track down these kids from Eastern Michigan who the last time they seen me, there was not an ounce of change in my life. And they probably have no idea that this weekend I'll tell 15,000 people about the goodness of God, amen. That is outstanding. I give my life to Christ and I decide I'm gonna give up my basketball scholarship and, and go to a school where I can pursue my education but also my faith culture shock. I go from a state school that was predominantly black to a all-white private school that had a strong emphasis on ministry. And so I get there, and this is just a unique dynamic for me. And um, I don't know what it was like when you gave your life to Christ, but God didn't wave a wand over my life. I had some things to work out. I was clumsy in my faith, clunky in my pursuit of Christ. So much so that I well, I almost jeopardized my education. Got really close to being expelled from this university had it not been for a professor who saw something in me. And for whatever reason, I can't explain it, had no relational equity with the guy. He decided that he was gonna take me under my wing, hold me accountable, and begin to disciple me. And that guy's name was Tracy Pano. And his older brother was Tommy Pano. And what's amazing is there was a season of time where I was entering the faith. Pastor Steve was entering the senior pastor position here, and Tommy was entering heaven. Church, I don't know how it all works out, but when I say God has his eye on you, he doesn't miss a thing. Come on, can we just celebrate how awesome God is? You know, I think a lot of people, well, they have faith in Jesus, but they don't have the faith of Jesus. In fact, this is gonna seem like a riddle, but Jesus didn't have faith in almost everything we have faith in, which some of you are like, what? <laughs> you see, what we know as faith or embrace in faith, Jesus knew as fact. Jesus came from the right hand of the Father. Jesus came from perfection. So we, we anchor our heart and our faith to, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in God the Father. I believe in eternity. I believe in all these things, but it's in faith. But Jesus knew it as fact. So what did Jesus have faith in? Really only had faith in one thing. You. And me. Jesus left perfection for your potential. Jesus left perfection for my potential. And in some way that I don't understand in my life, God was magnetic to the pathetic. But he leaned in in a way that altered my life. 
And I guarantee if you open your heart and your mind, he will lean in a way that will alter yours. Because church in the kingdom of God and as followers of Christ, nobody is a nobody. Now that's bad grammar, but it'll stick. For the stickler in the room, we'll say it this way. No person is of no importance. My prayer is that you'll get to see yourself through heaven's eyes. And my prayer is that you'll begin to see others through heaven's eyes. To help you do that, this week we are launching the Matthew 25 challenge. Also that every single one of us can orient our heart and, and posture our soul in alignment with God. And so we have some information about what this is gonna look like. I was gonna say this, if he did it for me, I can do it for thee, right? If Jesus stepped into messy spaces, gravitated towards my life, I can do the same for other people, right? But let's put up the slide about Matthew 25. Here's the Matthew 25 challenge. What you can do is you can text a number, and that number's gonna be here on the screen. I think it's the next slide. You can text this number, Northview to 56170. And uh, what you are going to receive is starting Monday, you will receive promptings for the Matthew 25 challenge. And here's the deal, some of it's gonna be challenging. Some of it's gonna be outside your comfort zone and, and some of it's gonna come with some inconvenience. But I think as we do so, it's going to align us with the heart of God, amen? And so you can text that number every day. You will receive a daily challenge, a video story. You'll even receive a devo and a prayer. And my prayer is, that you'll just give it a shot. The next week, just say, I'm in on this Matthew 25 challenge, amen? Can I pray with you? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. God, you truly are a remarkable God. I love what the old hymn says. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free, for your eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. God, may we sense your perspective on our life and may we sense your perspective on the world. And may we begin to see things through the lens of others, uh, through the lens of heaven and may we begin to see others through the lens of heaven. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you've yet to surrender your life to Christ and receive the grace that is life altering. And if that's you, we would love to pray with you with, Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I'd, I'd love for you to just slip your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip your hand up. Outstanding. Anyone else? Awesome. All together, pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for my sins. Today, I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Be my God, my Savior, and my King. Today, I'm choosing to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, it's been an honor.